Listening to The Perks of Being a Book Lover, a show featuring two friends who've been in the same book club for almost 20 years. I'm Carrie, and even though we've been doing this show for a while, I often think to myself, holy moly, we could not be more different. I'm a curmudgeonly cat lover, borderline antisocial, a lover of socks with cuss words on them, and scared to death when Amy says she has an idea because that usually spells trouble. And I'm Amy. I want to be your new best friend, especially if you're a book lover, and maybe even if you aren't. I'm also a dog collector, a Diet Coke addict, and treat a good yard sale like it's a national treasure. Despite these differences, we both love wine, cheese, and talking to each other, and sometimes a special guest about books. Each week we chat about what we're reading, as well as other bookish things. Like authors in the news. Recent book-to-film adaptations. Weird stuff we've Googled while reading. And our TBR count. We're so glad you've joined us. So this week we chat with Katrina Kittle, a Dayton, Ohio author whose most recent novel is titled Morning in This Broken World. And I met Katrina when I took her online writing class last year, not even knowing she had a new novel coming out. But I had heard such wonderful things about her and her four previously published novels. Katrina is a real delight of a person. She's fun and bubbly, but she would say that she's also antisocial. So maybe she's a mix of both Carrie and I? I don't know. You'll have to see. Her newest novel is about a group of unlikely companions who quarantined together during the COVID pandemic. But first, it's season nine, Carrie. Can I you believe know. it? No, I can't. Can't you know, it. this month of hiatus we took has gone really fast. <laughs> because <laughs> you don't like to relax. You're like, let me pack as much stuff into this four-week time period as I possibly can. Yeah, I decided I have picked up a little part-time gig. I am the interim bookstore manager at the Rosewater Bookstore in Louisville, Kentucky. It's a little used bookstore. Um, we've talked about them on the show a little bit. Both you and I have been longtime volunteers there. And um, when their person left, I said, well, if you'd like somebody to sort of manage the bookstore for a little while while you find somebody new, I'm your gal. So <laughs> I've been doing that and I have been making lots of projects. Oh, my gosh. Lots of projects. So many projects. So many. That's why when you say I have an idea, I'm like, does it involve work on my part? Is it a project? Because I'm probably not interested. <laughs> yeah. So you're probably tired of my projects. But a couple weeks ago, you and I did our yearly girls getaway retreat planning getaway. I don't know. Whatever you want to call it. We didn't do any planning. I, like, were we supposed to do that? Was this supposed <laughs> to be a planning getaway? Is where this, we plan for season nine? Because that didn't happen at all. <laughs> well, we talked about it vaguely. I don't think that qualifies as planning. Planning means you have like a calendar and like, I don't know. There was no well, calendar. There was cheese. There was wine. There was more cheese. There was a lot of ice cream. You went hog wild on the ice cream. <laughs> one night. That was a good idea, though. First, we need to say where we went. Columbus, Ohio. Columbus Book Festival. And I should say, before getting to Columbus, we stopped in Dayton on our way up. And we met and had lunch with... It was like everybody who's been on our show, practically. I mean, not really, but like seven people. I mean, it was a big group of, of former guests and friends. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. We we met at a restaurant, and um, there were several authors there who we have interviewed, Aaron Flanagan and uh, Christina Consolino, um, and then two librarians who've been on our show, Giselle Spurgeon and Kelsey Madges. Uh and then Trina Kittle. And then we interviewed her the Monday after that. So it was really fun to meet all of them in person. You know, I felt like I came away with new friends and I want to meet for lunch again sometime if they come down or we go up or, you know, what have you. And then the next day, so we went to the Columbus Book Festival and it was fantastic. Couldn't believe it was their first book festival. It was unreal. Yeah, um, so all you people who live in Ohio... You should make a beeline to the Columbus Book Festival next year. It was so well put together, very user-friendly, 
Highly, highly recommend it. Yeah. And so Saturday night, we had dinner with Sharon Short, Jess Montgomery, names in flux a little bit for publishing. Uh, we did make it to a vegetarian restaurant. Uh, the first night we tried to to get to a vegetarian restaurant, and I'm not so good with maps. Uh, we never made it, but we had a flight of ice cream at Jenny's ice cream. It was delicious. Now, when we say a flight, I mean, they say you get a, like, I think it was like half a scoop of 10 different flavors. Yeah. If they looked like whole scoops to me. Yeah. Yeah. It was huge. But we finished it. <laughs> they, were, they were all delicious. And I will say one of our listeners commented on the picture we posted about it and said, the I've just eaten ice cream look looks a lot like I've just had a lot of wine look. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently we looked very content and happy. Well, okay, honestly, here's the thing. At the house where we were staying at, we had already finished off a bag of popcorn and cheese and some wine. And so we were just like, okay, let's go add a little bit of what? Throw a vegetable at it and that yeah, was going to be our throw dinner. A vegetable at it, yeah. And then we couldn't find the, you know, because of my poor map skills. Anyway, I was like, why don't we just stop for ice cream? Because we had fruit back of the house. So I was like, if we're still hungry, we could eat some very healthy fruit. We had a a good time. But you know, we have learned that we actually, you know, we always talk about how different we are, but we travel pretty well together. Yeah. We both like wine and cheese and those factor in. And I have to, you know, part of what makes us travel well together is that I go by your stringent standards and that there must be two separate bedrooms so you don't have to share too much space with me. Yes, I do do have to have my own little retreat area where I can just be alone. Yeah. So so as long as I stick with that. We could save some money if I wasn't so like uptight in that way. But I'm like, I don't know. I think it's good to have your own little space. Um, I agree with that. You know, and also... I, I'm kind of like, you know, I I sleep with my husband every night. I don't often get a bed to myself. So if I have an opportunity to get a bed all to myself, on it, I'm going to do it. So, well, I think the other thing that, that makes us good travel partners is that, okay, like in this book festival, um, it wasn't like, oh, we have to go to the same thing, you know, and we had to stay like glued to each other constantly. You know, if there was something you wanted to see and I wanted to see something else, we went and saw what we wanted and then we came back and saw something together. So I think you you have to be flexible when you travel with somebody. And I think that we're a good match of flexibility. Yeah, because I'm off trying to make new friends. That's and right. You're off. <laughs> Not making new friends. Delicious. And it was very peoply. <laughs> and every day, <laughs> You were like, are you okay? Is it... And I'm like, I'm good. But I couldn't couldn't do that more than just a weekend. You know, it was very social and there were a lot of people around and I was like, okay, I'm ready to go well, home. And I like to try to be sensitive to your Yeah, you know, and I appreciate that. Needs. I appreciate that. That's another reason why we travel well together. Because I, you know, even though I enjoy it, being too peopley can really stress you out, so... I will say that even though I love that kind of thing, I like meeting lots of new people. I don't mind that amount of people. The, the amount of people I don't like, uh, there was a Beyonce concert here in Louisville a few nights after I got back. And the pictures of that that people were posting, that is too people for me. Mm. I don't like being shoulder to shoulder with people, mm. like people all around me. It's like you like to go to concerts. I don't really like to go to concerts. They, mm. They're too like claustrophobic for me unless it's something like where it's in a small venue Mm -hmm. you know then that's okay but we got home on sunday i was so exhausted like (laughs) well the funny thing was like you got out of the car and like we almost forgot to say bye to each other like (laughs) it was like you going to your house i'm going on my way i mean it was like oh yeah bye (laughs) i enjoyed it and i look forward to doing it again but now we're coming back to reality. We have some fun things planned uh, for season nine. Some great guests coming up. Uh, we're adding a new twist to our episodes. Periodically, we'll have uh, book lovers uh 
some that we know and many that we don't, give us little audio reviews of books so you'll get to hear about uh, new books in those little segments. In this first one, you'll hear from Megan Cox from here in Louisville, Kentucky, and then we'll roll right into our interview with Katrina. My most recent five-star read was One Italian Summer by Rebecca Surley. It is a quick, sweet story about a woman who loses the love of her life, her own mother, and she struggles with how to carry on without her. This felt like a new twist on a summer romance. I recommend this mother-daughter love story, even if your daughter is, say, 11 and currently hates you. I recommend it even if you yourself are a daughter and have a complicated relationship with your own mother or your other mother, your stepmother, mother-in-law, all the mothers. I highly recommend this read, and it's super sweet. It takes place in beautiful Positano, Italy, and you will love it. I'm Megan in Louisville, Kentucky. Amy and I had the great fortune just three days ago to meet the author that we're getting ready to chat with, Katrina Kittle. Yay! I'm so It was great to meet you. And it makes me look even more forward to this conversation. <laughs> I've met you in person. <laughs> I can say that I knew you a little bit even before this interview and before meeting you on Friday because you were very briefly my writing teacher <laughs> online <laughs> last fall when I toyed with the idea of maybe writing a novel. And you were a wonderful teacher. My dropping oh. out had nothing to do with you. It's more <laughs> of me deciding that I think I might just like reading novels more than the idea of writing novels. But you were you were amazing. Thank you. And you know what? That's a really good thing to know about yourself because why venture into this insanity if you don't have to? (laughs) But you live in Dayton. You are the author of many novels, but your most recent, Morning in This Broken World, is one of this new generation of novels that is about the COVID pandemic. And in this one, this sort of motley crew of people have to quarantine together and they end up bringing happiness to each other. So when did you begin writing it? Actually, it's so funny. I, I, I started this story in 2019. So way before COVID. And I do this really kind of nerdy thing where whenever I get a book idea, I start a little journal for it. And sometimes it'll be like, I just make some notes during a year and then it finally starts in earnest. But I know exactly how many days I've spent on any given novel. So I went back and looked and it was January 2019 that the idea first occurred to me. And it was kind of based on the story I heard about somewhere in Scandinavia. I can't remember exactly what country. They were combining assisted living centers with daycares. And so like these retired people could spend time with young people and it was win-win all around. And all of my books are about found family and people coming together to help lift each other in really non-traditional ways. And so I was kind of toying with this idea of a retirement community because my parents lived in one at the time. And I just kept jotting little notes, jotting little notes. And then when COVID hit, it suddenly, I was like, this is the catalyst. I was waiting for the engine of the plot of this story and just kind of collecting characters. It didn't start out to be a COVID book, but COVID was kind of this happy accident, if anyone has ever (laughs) called COVID that. (laughs) To help kind of get the book going, I think. A silver lining of the yes. pandemic. <laughs> yes. We'll take those, right? Well, you know, it's funny because even though COVID was horrible, I don't wish it on anyone. There were some perks from my perspective of COVID. And that was that, you know, everybody was home. Everybody had family dinners again. The pace slowed down. You would sit around with with your kids or whoever you were quarantining with and maybe play games again or just hang out in a way that you didn't before because you had so much other stuff to do. And so even though I have, you know, not so fond memories of COVID, I also have some kind of wonderful memories of COVID, of bonding with my kids in ways that I don't think would have happened had COVID not happened. And so that's one of the things I like about your book is that it kind of brings in some of those perks, so to speak. Yeah. And I was the same way. I mean, I think it's every writer's dream to be like, we got to stay home. (laughs) We can't leave. Let's stay in our pajamas all day. You know, so in some ways, I was very lucky during COVID. I teach at a university. We went remote. and My job was not in jeopardy. My partner's job was not in jeopardy. So I was very fortunate. But then part of the story, 
I think when it really started taking off for me was recognizing all the people for whom that was not true. Mm-hmm. You know, there was that meme that went around. Everyone at first was talking about, you know, Governor DeWine would always say, we're in this together. and We're all in the same boat. There was that meme that went around that said, yeah, we're not all in the same boat. We're in the same storm. Mm-hmm. But some of us have yachts. Some of us have canoes. Some of us are drowning. And I really started thinking about like my dad during this and how different his experience was from mine and a friend I know who is disabled and how different her experience was. And I, and so that also, you know, fed the book, you know, so my dad, we had lost my mom in January of 2020 and it was kind of a blessing right before, I know that sounds weird to say, but before the pandemic, I think the masks would have scared her. She had dementia. Mm. She wouldn't have understood why we couldn't come because that facility went into lockdown and I am so grateful to them. They were amazing and they, t- they kept people really safe, but of course it was hard. And so my father had just moved to a new apartment to live without my mom in the same building. And he had gone from living right across from a nurse's station because my mom needed to be in assisted living. He was back in independent living in this new apartment in a new hallway and suddenly they're in lockdown. They're not eating in the dining halls. All the social activities are ca- you know, canceled. And he, fortunately, he's a reader. He's the reason I'm a writer. He loves to read. And the library did great drop-off programs. But you know, I'd ask him on the phone, I'm like, are you bored? And he's like, I'm not bored. I'm lonely. Mm-hmm. And it just broke my heart. Like here he is, you know, newly lost his spouse, still grieving. And suddenly he's like totally alone. And so that's where Vivian kind of came from. Right. Then I saw these amazing nursing assistants who were essential. They had to be in there and they're not getting paid nearly enough to do this very dangerous work, especially in the early days when we didn't really know, you know, what, what could happen and how you could carry it home. Um, And then again, my friend with cerebral palsy who suddenly couldn't do occupational therapy and she couldn't do physical therapy and her family was trying to do it from videos from her trainers, you know, and then the schooling, right? There were kids who loved being home from school and kids who really faltered in the remote learning. So it w- I was just trying to capture all the different boats people were like furiously paddling in during this crazy, crazy time. Well, I want to talk a little bit about the poem that precedes the very first chapter of the book. And when I started your book, I read that poem and it was just like a punch in the gut to me, not necessarily in a bad way. It was just so visceral of my experience somewhat with COVID. I'd like, well, I'd like one of us to read it, either you or I. Do you care who reads it? No, it doesn't matter. I have it right here if you want me to. But you Sure, go ahead. Sure, go ahead. So it's by Kathleen McCleary, who's an amazing novelist. And it's called, This is How a Pandemic Ends, Not with a Bang, But with Cicadas. Did you guys get hit with the Brudex cicadas around Louisville? Yes. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So, yeah. So she posted this on Facebook one day and it goes like this. We went underground this year, like the cicadas, burrowed deep, huddled against roots, sucking what little sustenance we could from whatever we found. The cicadas sing outside my window now, and I swear the other sound I hear is the crackling of millions of exoskeletons, the shells we grew to harden ourselves against our longing to be touched. Mm. And those last lines, I just love those. Yeah, they, it's giving me chills hearing yeah. it right now all over. But I know that this poem, you didn't find it till midway through, I think, writing your book. Yeah. How did it uh, how did it guide your book? You know, I've been going, I've been developing the characters and, you know, I kind of knew where we were headed. But those lines about the crackling of the exoskeletons and, and shed this idea of shedding the shells, it was like this eureka moment. Um, and this is what I love about other art and why I love to read because sometimes somebody else's line will just be like, yes, that's exactly what I needed. And I realized that my four point of view characters all had started the pandemic before the pandemic even happened, had these really hard shells, these armors they were wearing. And it was only through this coming together and forming this little family unit, this little pandemic pod that they were able to leave those shells behind and kind of emerge as their more authentic selves at the end of it. And I was like, that's it. So this great image. And so I put the cicadas into the book and I loved them. I mean, I'm, I love science and bugs and outdoors. <laughs> and so I think they were, they were amazing. Some people were totally grossed out by them, but we got hit hard with them here in the Dayton area. And, you know, the shells are everywhere. And so I'm like, what a great symbol of all these shells just discarded and, and these 
creatures flying off as the selves they were supposed to be for these really brief, amazing, short, crazy lives. We never actually ask you to give us like a log line for your book, but I think, you know, we've kind of summarized basically what it's about, but tell us a little bit about some of the characters, this motley crew of people who get thrown together. So Vivian starts the book and I think it's really kind of her book. If if, I mean, there's four point of view characters. So she's a recent widow. Her husband died a month previous to the book beginning. So she's living in a retirement community, but they still own their home. They were fairly wealthy but she was in this retirement community so he could be in memory care and assisted living. When the facility goes into lockdown, she's like, I cannot stay here. She's tried to return to her home, the home they still own, but it's just feels really haunted for her. It's full of memories. And she's actually, this is not a spoiler because it's in the first page. She's actually contemplating ending her life to join her husband. Like she doesn't, she just feels like nothing's worth it. They had one daughter Anne-Marie, who she hasn't seen for seven years. Um, they're strange. She's a, um, Anne-Marie's a drug addict. They've lost touch with her. So she's kind of like, what's the point? And then there's this nursing assistant, Luna, who was Vivian's favorite nursing assistant who took care of her husband, Jack. And Luna, Vivian finds out, is about to be evicted. She's newly separated from her husband. She's got two kids. She's really struggling. And so it's kind of like, oh, maybe we can make, hmm, And Luna has two kids, one that Vivian already knows. Her name is Rin. She's 11. She has cerebral palsy and she's in a hot pink wheelchair. And she has this vivid imagination. I love, I'm about to say, I just love her, but I'm like, I love them all. (laughs) (laughs) And then she also has a very troubled 15 year old son named Cooper, who is absolutely thrilled that school may close and (laughs) perfectly happy if the world ended in an apocalypse. And so you know, they all end up sharing Vivian's home, which happens to be handicapped accessible. And they have some, you know, they've got some rocky times along the way, but they end up forming this this pretty strong family unit. Well, yeah. l- let me ask you, so between the COVID part, which you said your experience was overall positive, you know, or there were good things, you know, yeah. you, you were maybe not in the in the kayak on, on the storm. But, you know, having mentioned that your your mom had passed away just prior to COVID starting, did writing the book sort of feel in any ways like therapeutic to you? You know, I think it did. Although, you know, so I started, I think it was March 7th. Yeah. So I wrote this down. March 7th, 2021 was when I really started writing it in earnest. And before that, it was mostly just gathering notes, developing characters. And so, you know, we'd been a full year in it by that point, like literally one year. And there was a lot, I think I was processing, just the uncertainty, the worry about my dad. And so it did help, you know, you can change the outcomes. Mm -hmm. You can, you know, that's the beauty of fiction, especially fiction that's based on something that's real. You get to control how things turn out. (laughs) So there's that little... You know, you can write the happier ending if you like, change a few things along the way. But yeah, and I think there's some things I, I really don't know if any of us have fully processed. Right. And and I don't know if it's actually over. You know, I think it's going to always be with us. But the pandemic's certainly over. Right. Um, but it's just going to be here. But I think it profoundly impacted everyone in ways that many of us don't even recognize yet. And I really see that in my college students. But I think it did help me, especially with stuff about my mom, even though she was such a supporter of my writing. But um, I guess my short answer is yes. Yes, it did. Forever. (laughs) So there was a pretty big break between your last book and this new one. So how did that break impact your writing of the new novel? Yeah. So my last published book came out in 2011. And that was my book for young adults called Reasons to be Happy. So that's a long break. And I do want to stress it was a publishing break, not a writing break, Okay, where I kept writing through all of it. There was a lot of stuff going on in my personal life that made it hard to have what I jokingly call the emotional bandwidth to keep really vigorously pursuing publishing because that's so time consuming and so hard. So I had written a book, a strange little story. It's called Strange Katie. And my agent didn't know what to do with it. And she tried to sell it. And after a while, she gave me the blessing to find someone else to 
to try to publish it, which is in a way like being broken up with. But, you know, it happens. And she can't do her job if she doesn't love the book as much as I do. So I did start seeking a different agent. And I found one. Her name's Maria Whelan. I love her dearly. but she And she loved Strange Katie. She totally got it. She couldn't sell it either. You know, so I started writing another book. It also deals with dementia. So we'll call that book number two. While all this has been happening, I had breast cancer twice. Oh my my mom got dementia, got diagnosed with dementia. My sister and I had to find a new safe place for them to live. And, you know, my dad couldn't really participate in that search because he was, you know, taking care of my mom was really kind of a full-time job. So we found them a new place to live. We got their house ready for sale. My sister and I did the estate sale ourselves, which I would not recommend to anyone ever, ever, ever again. I'm never doing that. I sold my own house and combined households with the love of my life. And the book is dedicated to him. I started a job at a university. Um, I survived a global pandemic, right? (laughs) All this stuff was happening. And so like, you know, the search for a new agent took a while because there would be times where I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to put this off till after this surgery. I'm just going to put this off until after I move my parents, you know? And so sometimes I felt like a slacker, like it's going on forever and I'm not going to ever be published again. But then I would look at everything that was happening and I'm like, okay, it's fine. But I kept writing during all of it. And the writing is kind of what kept me sane. And when I got a little frustrated with the publishing part, which is normal, right? Rejection is normal. Getting past your book, getting past is normal. It happens all the time. I actually thought like, maybe I don't want to write anymore. I actually tried. I'm like, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm just going to stop writing. And what I discovered was that I was really an unhappy person when I wasn't writing. So what I had to do to kind of keep myself sane, and I will get back to answering your question. This is all kind of (laughs) (laughs) But I had to keep the publishing part of my life and the writing part of my life kind of separated. And I found a quote, just like the meme about the being in the same boat, another quote that kind of drove me during those years. It's by Tyler Knott Gregson. And he, it's about swimming, but it fits here. Or he, he wrote, promise me you will not spend so much time treading water and trying to keep your head above the waves that you forget, truly forget how much you have always loved to swim. Mm. And yeah, publishing is like querying, getting rejected, querying, getting rejected, writing the synopsis, writing the query, you know, all this stuff. And you kind of forget in that whole crazy making endeavor that like, it's all about loving stories and loving books and loving to write. And so I tried to keep those really separated. And the writing practice actually kept me sane during all of that crazy personal and health stuff going on. So when it came to writing this book, Morning in This Broken World, I think I just had this utter freedom where Maria, my agent, had already given me some revision notes on book number two. But while she had been reading book number two, I had started writing this one. And when she gave me the notes, I'm like, these are all great. And I want to return to this book eventually, but will you read this one first? And I sent it to her and she was like, this is next. Mm. And she had some notes for that. And she's like, this is what, this is what we need to do. And she was able to sell it relatively quickly. But I think that long gap was just that freedom of like, you know what, maybe I never will be published again. So screw it. I'm going to write exactly what I want, you know? And I wrote this book faster than I've ever written anything. I mean, it still was like a year, but for me, that's fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not, a, I'm not a fast writer and I really envy the writers who are. This new novel, it deals with some pretty heavy topics. You've got dementia, cancer, COVID, even some anti-LGBTQ things going on in there. And But the book the tone of it is very hopeful. And so was it an intentional decision on your part to keep it light when it could just have easily been very dark? I think so, but I think it was subconscious. I think that's just kind of who I am. It is. Yes. You are, <laughs> I was thinking I'm asking you this question, but if, if anyone's ever met you, they know that you were just so bubbly and hopeful and happy. And <laughs> and yet I take people to some pretty dark places in all of my books, like sometimes really dark places, but they always end up hopeful and redemptive. And I think with this one, for me, it was that, you know, the title comes from this Mary Oliver poem. The poem's called Invitation. And the full line that the title comes from says, it is a serious thing just to be alive 
on this fresh morning in this broken world. Mm. And I think all four of those characters kind of come to that. Maybe not Rin. Rin was always pretty bubbly and upbeat about th- most things. But the two adults and Cooper definitely realize what they have. And I, and for me, I don't, I don't know, and this sounds kind of maudlin and cheesy, but I think having survived cancer twice, I, I, I approach most things as like, well, I get to be here. Mm-hmm. I get to be here. It didn't have to turn out that way, right? And so I get to be here for the pandemic and I get to be here for the car trouble and I get to be here for bad hair days or whatever. You know, it's kind of like the alternative. You think about the alternative. And so, you know, here was Vivian wanting to end her life. Here was Luna totally at the end of her rope. Cooper, who wanted the world to sort of end, he would be fine with that. And at the end, they're ready to fight for it. They they recognize the gift it is. I know that sounds so cheesy to be like the gift of life, but <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the world is broken, but yeah. it is it is still a serious thing just to be alive, just to be here, to get to be here and experience all of the craziness, the division, the good stuff, the bad stuff. I think it makes the good stuff even sweeter. Yep. One of my favorite themes in a book is always found family and several of the main characters in your book have very strained relationships with people in their immediate family. But Vivian and Luna and even Vivian's neighbors create a new sort of family. And I think that, you know, so many people have toxic or broken relationships with their own biological family members that it's a comfort to know that families can come in all sorts of forms. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. You know what? I think this is a theme or variation of every novel I've ever written. And which is interesting because I had a really close immediate family. I didn't have a toxic relationship with them, but they kind of had with some of their relatives. So I saw that and saw how hard that could be. But I was a theater major. (laughs) So, and the reason I bring that up is, you know, and I was in a, I also was in the dance community and those communities are pretty heavily populated with a lot of LGBTQ people. Mm. And so Growing up and in college, a lot of my friends who were gay had these relationships where their families had kind of rejected them. And my mom was the sort who was like, I'll be your mom. You know what I mean? Like, so she took everybody. But like seeing that, I think, and, and seeing how they formed their own kind of families when their own families rejected them, and many of them found their way back, and they were much more forgiving than I would be. I think I would hold a serious grudge, but more grace to them, you know, that they, they found their way back to people who initially had rejected them. But I think it comes from that of just seeing so many really dear friends go through that struggle, that even if it's not like a a gay issue, but just for lots of different reasons, I think in my stories, there are people whose own families have perhaps failed them or aren't quite enough for everything they need. And they find these other people. And even though I had this amazing, I have still with my dad and my amazing sister and her family and my partner's family, you know, all these great immediate family members, I also have this extended family that I have chosen of of friends who I, you know, were so deeply, fiercely loyal to each other. And I just think that makes life richer. So your your story is multi-generational. The oldest character is in her 70s. The youngest is 12. And, you know, everybody else is sort of in between. Do you tend to, you know, like a multi-generational story? I know I've, I've seen pictures of you and your dad on Instagram. And I think, you know, Amy and I were kind of talking about this, about this weekend made me think about it. But I think you get to a certain age and you watch your parents get older mm-hmm. and you realize that they're still very active people, you know, like they want to make a meaningful, you know, have a meaningful role in the world in some capacity. You know, I I think sometimes we forget that older people are still people, (laughs) you know, they sort of, it's like, well, they're old, you know, like they stop caring about everything. So was it difficult for you to write kind of from all these different ages. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, the multi-generational component of the story. Yeah. Well, first of all, was it hard? Yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, I think all of writing is hard and I, that's, I love that challenge. So hopefully I pulled that off. But uh, yeah, with, yeah, with Vivian, I think that's, that's also comes from being in, in the retirement community so often to visit my parents and, and my dad now. There's people there 
these fascinating people, this man who used to be a doctor. And we have this great conversation on the sidewalk. And when he walks away with his walker, my dad's like, he's 92. And I'm like, what? Seriously? <laughs> and he's walking away just with a walker to get in a car, to go to dinner with friends. You know, and I'm like, wow, I want to be like that. And there were lots of people there like that. And also the other end of the spectrum as well. People much younger than that, who sort of seem like little shells of themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got a friend, Carol Jean, who is 80, just now she's 81. But when she turned 80 and we had a big birthday party for her, I was asking her, she, she and I just ended up in the kitchen together and everyone else was in other places. And she goes, you know what my, I think the secret is? Because this is a woman, she still lives totally alone, drives, teaches tap class, <laughs> um, still dances, still does all these things. And she said two things. One, I kept dancing. And tap especially is really good for your brain as well as the body. But then she said, I have friends of all ages. She goes, I have a lot of young friends and that makes me try new things and stay on top of things like technology. And she goes, the young people keep you young. And I, I, that kind of stuck with me too, of like, I loved that. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta find more young friends. I gotta stay young. You know. <laughs> but then I do think like, I think you said something about how it, they bring out the best in each other, right? The young people bring out that childlike wonder and the older characters and and then maturity in the in the younger characters as well. And I love, especially love in the book. I've got a soft spot in my heart for the friendship that develops between Vivian and Cooper. Mm, yeah. Um, for, so the book ends with Cooper. It starts with Vivian and he gets the final say. He gets the final chapter in the book. But yeah, the, what they bring to each other, I think is really important. So this wonderful book is an Amazon first reads pick for August. Uh, And so for those who don't know, if you're an Amazon Prime member, um, at the beginning of each month, you get to choose one book from one of the Amazon publishing imprints. They usually give you seven or eight choices. You can pick one to download for free. And they're supposed to be, you know, the best that those publishing imprints have. So Yours was chosen for August. Was that a surprise to you? How did that all work out? Yes, it was wonderful. But it's a surprise I've had. It was a surprise when I was told, but I was told early, like back in June or May, I think even. So it was a surprise then. And I've had to sit on it for a really long time (laughs) because it changed my publication date. Mm. And I was originally supposed to come out June 20th. How it came about is you get um, nominated by your editor and then there's a whole panel who has to decide. So I'm like, that's pretty awesome, like that she believed in it that much. And then a whole panel kind of chose it. So that's thrilling. But th- so they knew they wanted it to be a first reads. But you're, if you're a first reads, your book always comes out the month after in the book book form. And so June wasn't a possibility. It was already full. They already had their eight. And those people had been told. And they'll only do one like women's fiction, book club fiction each time. Right. And the other titles are different genres. And so they already had July. Uh, contemporary fiction for July. So I'm like, then they were like, so we're going to put you in August, which means your pub date goes to September one, but it's so worth it. Even though I'll be starting the fall semester. (laughs) So it's going to be a little crazy, but crazy in a really, really good way. Well, it's, it's very exciting because I'm, I'm anxious to let all of our listeners, but all of my friends, because sometimes they'll say, Hey, what was your first reads pick pick this month? And some months I have strong opinions, but other months I don't. But I am excited to say I know exactly what book that you should pick <laughs> for August. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. So much. <laughs> well, we're going to take a little breather. I think Katrina's going to pet her cute little beagle. And <laughs> when we come back, we're going to talk about what we're reading. This is our first episode of season nine. And I would say that I don't know what you've been reading, but I just spent a full weekend <laughs> with you. And so <laughs> I, I, I do kind of have an idea of what you're reading. You do? Let's see. What do you think I'm going to talk about? Uh, well, it's not, I, I, I never talk about something I'm reading like that I haven't finished. Right. And last night I finished a book. I told you I was going to finish a book, but I haven't, you know, it's too early for me to write up something. So this oh. is actually something I finished two weeks ago. Do you know? I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, you're like, it's too early to think. Okay. <laughs> so the book that I'm going to talk about is Babel by R.F. Kuang. So this is a big book. It's like 530 pages, which normally I'm like, nope, 
nope, don't have time for that. But we were going to be going to Scotland. We went to Scotland at the end of June, early July. And I thought, I'm going to be sitting in airports for so long. I'm, I'm just going to take this book. As it turned out, it was a worthwhile read. And it went, you know, I went through it much faster than I expected. So this book is a fantasy. The fantasy element of the story is that words can somehow magically be tied to bars of silver to make all sorts of things possible. So bridges that hold up indefinitely, as long as the magic words that bind the silver are repeated every so often. Uh, Transport can go much faster than a horse and buggy and without accidents. Weaponry that can land on its targets with absolute precision because of the silver and, and the magic words that bind it. So this melding of silver with words from all languages is why Oxford in Oxford, England, and its translation tower that's called Babel, and the translation students are the focus of the novel. So does that make sense? Kind of the background of of this fantasy story? Yes, kind of. Yes, go ahead. (laughs) All right. All right. So the protagonist of the novel is Robin Swift. He's a Chinese boy who is saved from cholera, which kills his entire family by a white Englishman who he later learns is his father. His father is a translator and Chinese language scholar at Oxford. And you learn that he sort of has a penchant for impregnating Chinese women and then later taking their sons with him to England. Robin quickly learns from his father and the rest of English society that his modus operandi should be to be grateful for what England has given him, a chance to live as an Englishman, although without the respect of being an Englishman since he is a foreigner. At Oxford, he develops a deep friendship with three other translation students, Victoire, Ramey, and Letty. Before too many years, he meets his long-lost brother, who has defied their father by recognizing that England is stealing resources, not only silver, but the children and words of less developed nations for its own benefit without spreading the wealth equitably. Sounds familiar and very real life. Uh, The brother is part of an underground society that is trying to change things. Does Robin join or remain part of Oxford's Babel team, you have to read to find out. So this story, it's very cool because it's set in like the the 19th century. It reminded me, so I did not successfully complete the book, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, but it has sort of that flavor except with a more propulsive plot, which is one of the issues I had with with that other book. So if you like history, but with a twist, if you like uh, stories of friendship, if if you're interested in words, uh, which I found really fascinating because R.F. Kuang does study words and and etymologies and stuff like that. So it, it was really fascinating. And I recommend it if you're in the market for a 530 page book. Okay, let me ask a question about it. So you know how I feel about like high fantasy where, you know, there's a lot of world building and Mm -hmm. if it has a glossary, is this to that level or is it more like our world, but with some magic thrown in? It's it's like our world with some magic thrown in. And really the thing is, so I tried to explain the silver part of it, but it's sort of like, it's not explained in so much depth that you're like confused. It's explained enough that you basically understand it, but it, it doesn't, it's not, it's not like you're required to fully comprehend how this magical thing happens. It's just like, go with it. Words bind with silver. That's really all you need to know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. That, okay. Cause yeah. the silver thing does throw me because my husband read this book and he tried to explain the silver thing to me. And I'm like, I, I, I don't, I don't get yeah. it. <laughs> basically. Okay. Basically imagine, this is how I imagined it. Like say I have a little bar of silver in my hand and I'm a translation student. Say that there is an ancient Persian word, something about going fast or, you know, transporting movement, something like that. And so I say this word, maybe I I use a special tool and, and write it into the silver. And then if I put that silver in a train, in a steam engine, 
having that silver in the steam engine is going to make it go faster and without mm-hmm. accident because it has this ancient word for transport or you know movement embedded in the silver that is embedded in the train. Okay. Does that kind of make sense? Yes. I mean, more so. Yes. Okay. I I think if you have an interest in words at all, this book is is kind of fascinating. Hmm. So anyway, I have, you know, I guess a long book sort of requires a longer (laughs) explanation. I feel like I've been talking for an hour. But (laughs) anyway, so I will shut up about that. Katrina, what have you been reading? Well, first, it's so funny because I was torn between talking about Come With Me by Aaron Flanagan or Yellowface, oh. also by R.F. Quang, because I loved Yellowface. And I think I got that recommendation from your AAPI episode. So, and it's amazing. But I think I'm going to talk about Aaron's book. But I, okay. I highly, highly recommend Yellowface too. It's always so hard to pick. But Aaron's book comes out August 22nd. It's called Come With Me. It is a thriller about toxic relationships between women. What two particular women, there's two points of view and it kind of alternates between them. But we start with Gwen, who's a widowed single mom, and you see her become widowed in the very first chapter. It turns out her husband was doing sketchy things with money. And so as a widow, she's left fairly destitute and had no idea until here she is widowed. She's got a daughter. So she has to return home and move in with her mom just to stay afloat for a while. But she reaches out to this place where she did an internship years ago. And this former acquaintance, or Nicola, kind of takes her under her wing and, and helps her. And at first, it seems amazing. Like, she helps her get a job, a really good job at this place. Far better job than Gwen thought she should have. She rents Gwen a house on her on Nicola's same street and so that she doesn't have to live with her mom. But she does this without asking Gwen. Quinn really doesn't want to live with her mom, but she's like, well, okay. She doesn't want to be beholden, but it's like, okay. But then Nicola really starts to work on Gwen's daughter and just wins her daughter over, starts doing so many things, um, like buys her daughter a phone without getting Gwen's permission, buys a dog. All this stuff is turning out to be too good to be true and becomes very controlling. And then after a while, she learns that Nicola's own marriage is falling apart and there was this other woman who worked with them when the, when the, when Nicola and Gwen were at this internship together at this company, who's just gone. She apparently quit very abruptly, just kind of disappeared. And Gwen has her job now. And then she starts digging into that. And it's like really suspicious where this third woman went, this Nicola's other best friend who just suddenly disappeared. And it's like, there's this whole pattern of this woman just takes over your life. Oh. And is that woman dead or not? And it's not just, a story about Gwen learning the truth about Nicola, but there's all these twists about Nicola herself. And in the in Nicola's chapters and her point of view, Erin does this beautiful job where you get to know like her motivation of what made her this way. So it's it's one of those really manipulative things where you're like, I don't want to like this woman. But then when you read her chapters, you kind of can't help but have some sympathy mm. for her, which is really like frustrating of like, no, I'm rooting for Gwen. But then I kind of understand where she's coming from, even though she's incredibly misguided and unhealthy and obsessive about it. But yeah, there's some twists at the end that I did not see coming at all. And I love it when I get surprised by a book. Man, when you feel for the villain, it's like, I feel, Carrie, like this is just a retelling of our relationship. You know, I have insinuated myself into your life and you're like, how can I get rid of her? What what can I do to extricate myself from Amy? That is exactly right. Be really careful if that's true. Be Be really careful. All right. Well, uh, to my favorite stalker, Amy, what is your reading? <laughs> well, this book is actually going to come back around to you, Katrina. Uh-oh. Uh, it You won't find out to the end. So the book I'm going to talk about is Big Gay Wedding by <laughs> Byron Lane. And I listened to this on audiobook. It was a wonderful audiobook. And it is the story of Barnett, who is a gay man who is from a small town in Louisiana He moved away after college. He moved to L.A. And he has come back home to his mother's farm to tell her that he is engaged to be married to a man. And it is sort of a secret 
It's well, it's not a secret that he's gay. He came out to his parents when he was a teenager and it did not go well. And those scenes are, are like just like heart-wrenching. Mm-hmm. It, but it is a secret that he has been dating a man and that he's getting married. And so even though this is about Barnett and his partner, it a lot of the story is actually about his mother and her arc of accepting her son the way that he is. So it's it's a very heartfelt book, but it's also a zany book because the farm that uh, Barnett's mother lives on is sort of like a hobby farm, but she like collects farm animals that couldn't live other places, sheep and pigs and horses and, you know, dogs with three legs and, you know, and things like that. So there's that. But then also Barnett's fiance's parents who live in New York City and are very... Uh, urbane, I guess you could say, they decide to come down and visit during Barnett and his fiance's visit. And they are something else. They <laughs> they are very quirky. Uh, his sister wants to plan the wedding. And then it turns out that they do plan a wedding there in Louisiana. And it was just, it's a very fun, it's heartfelt. And th- so this is how it relates to you, Katrina, is that Byron Lane is married to Stephen Rowley, who is the author of The Gunkle, also one of my very favorite mm-hmm. books. And Stephen Rowley recently won the Thurber Prize for Humor huh. that is at Col- in Columbus, Ohio. And we went to Columbus for the Columbus Book Festival this last weekend. We went to visit... Uh, the Thurber House. We saw your picture and your signature because you did a an event there, but also you did a residency there. And I have my Thurber T-shirt on right now. It's a cartoon <laughs> of a dog Aww, reading a book. Awesome. But anyway, that is that is how you were related to this to this book. <laughs> I love it. And I love that you got there when you were in Columbus. That's awesome. <laughs> so anyway, the name of this book is Big Gay Wedding by Byron Lane, and it. I would say it's a it's a great summer, light, summer, fun read. I am going to read that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. All right. Let's take another quick break. We are introducing for season nine, kind of a new part three. We're calling it The Fast and the Furious. So when we come back, Katrina is going to be part of the very first, the inaugural Fast and the Furious. <laughs> We are back with Katrina Kittle, author of Morning in This Broken World, and she is going to be our guinea pig guest. (laughs) We're starting our new Fast and Furious. So are you ready, Katrina? I don't know where this is going to go. Okay. (laughs) All right. Teaching a middle school student or high school student? Uh, I have done both, and I'm going to surprise people by saying middle school student. They're insane, but they're not (laughs) jaded yet. (laughs) And you actually get to teach, actually teach them something for the first time. Like they are are still actually discovering things in your classroom. And in high school, they kind of like, you're just sort of enriching things by that point. (laughs) You know, it's funny because I, at the Columbus Book Festival this past weekend, I asked an author who had written both YA and middle grade what she would do differently. You know, what was the thing that she would do differently writing between those two genres? And she said that she had done some classes with Jason Reynolds, the the very well-known middle grade and YA author. And that what he said was that in middle grade, kids are still discovering things. But in high school, they already think that they're they're certain about everything. Yeah. I like the way he worded that. That's perfect. But they're nuts and they smell bad. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. (laughs) Very true. Okay. On to cuisine, which is my forte. You live in the Dayton area, which is near Cincinnati, which is known for Cincinnati chili. And what makes Cincinnati chili unique is that it has cinnamon in it. So cinnamon and chili or not? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, Skyline, but no. <laughs> All right. My, my German relatives will be very disappointed. <laughs> All right. 
best animal to write about when you were a child? Stray puppy or galloping pony? Hands down, galloping pony. (laughs) I was horse crazy as a kid. Those poor stray puppies. I know, but see, but see, now I feel bad. Now I feel bad. <laughs> but no, I would, I would pretend to be a horse. I, oh, I wrote these long, obnoxious stories about horses. No matter what assignment was in any class, I would turn it about horses. You know, I could find a way to make it about horses. Were you a horse girl book person? Like the? Oh um, yeah, oh mm-hmm. yeah, Misty, Misty of Chincoteague. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Art museum or history museum? Oh, I'm such a museum junkie. So I'm going to say history museum because the history museum will likely also include art. Ah, <laughs> ah. <laughs> trying to work the system here. <laughs> I need art museum. Have, do you have one that you like uh, that you particularly like a history museum? Oh, well, of course. Now I'm totally blanking. There's That's a okay. lot. Of, there's good ones around here. The Boonshaft Museum of Natural History in Dayton is pretty fun. And it's really geared toward kids. And, and sometimes those are the best because you get like that understanding in a really like base and easy and entertaining way. Yeah. It's pretty fun. Carrie's probably upset with me because I'm not sticking to the... Um... <laughs> the fast and the furious? furious? I know. Yeah, okay, yeah, no. Sorry. I I'll try to be fast. <laughs> no, no. The problem, the problem is me. I have yes. all these follow-up questions because yes. I want to know more. I want to know more. <laughs> And then, so what'll happen is then when she's editing, she'll be like, I can't decide what to take out. And I'm like, you brought this on yourself. I don't feel sorry for you. Figure it out. No. (laughs) All right. We are pitting Dayton authors against each other. Humorist Irma Bombeck or Tuck Everlasting author Natalie Babbitt. Oh, they're both so good. And you know what? (laughs) I didn't realize that Natalie Babbitt was from Dayton. Mm -hmm. Um, but I have to go with Irma Bombeck simply because of the Irma Bombeck Writers Workshop here in Dayton that has been an amazing place for me. It's such one of my favorite workshops, really inspirational. So when I think of Irma, I think of that whole community from that mm-hmm. workshop. And so I have to I have to land with Irma Bombeck. All right. Okay. You are a huge, huge gardener. I like to do a little bit of gardening, but I need to know your opinions about a couple of things. Do you prefer a spring flowering tree or a tree with really vibrant fall foliage? <laughs> I love these questions. Um, <laughs> so they're both amazing, but I think I'm going to go with spring flowering tree because when spring rolls around, we are so ready for any sign of that hope. And here's the new season and warmth and sunshine coming, especially here in the Dayton area. It's, winter's pretty gray here. So that's, I think it's the most welcome site is when the trees, like, it's like almost overnight, it becomes like a Monet painting around here with all the flowering trees. It's so pretty. And in the fall, you know, we've had the whole summer of gorgeous color. So by that point, we're taking it for granted a little, maybe. And we didn't talk about Vivian's garden, but Vivian has this huge garden at her old house. And that's all me. I wish mine was as big as Vivian's, but like, that's just me putting in all my garden love into a book. Like, here's a character who loves to do what I love. (laughs) (laughs) Is your garden as elaborate as what you've made no. hers? No, not oh, okay. at all. I wish. I wish. Okay. Well, I the pictures have... you post on your, you know, on your social media, they're beautiful. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And I totally my happy place. You just reminded me of something that I do because I'm such, I can be such a hermit. And when I work in the garden, I'm, I usually don't listen to anything. I don't listen to po- podcasts or books on tape. That's when I'm driving. But when I'm gardening, like weeding or pruning or deadheading or something, I'm working on stories in my head, figuring stuff out. You know, your hands are busy doing stuff. And so like, I won't work in the front yard on weekends or after five, because I don't want people walking their dogs or their neighbors to stop and talk to me. Uh, (laughs) And I love our neighbors. We, I love, they're fabulous people, but I'm like, I am, I'm working. Leave me alone. Right. I'm in a flow. I'll hide in the back behind the privacy fence and work in the backyard and only garden like when people are at work, you know, on a weekday morning. <laughs> See, I'm not even a writer, but I would I would think of that too. But that's just because I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to talk to people. It's yes. so exhausting. The pandemic made me even more antisocial than I was yeah. before. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we just met you three days ago. It was wonderful getting to meet you in person and and equally wonderful getting to follow up 
with uh, this conversation on this Monday morning. We're so excited. It comes out September 1st. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So, and it is an August Amazon's first read. So morning in this broken world. Thanks so much for, for joining us this morning. Thank you both so, so much. I really love your podcast. You can find Katrina Kittle at her website, katrinakittle.com, or on Instagram at Katrina Kittle. For show notes for any episode, go to our website at perksofbeingabooklover.com. We're also on Instagram at perksofbeingabooklover.pod, and on Facebook at perksofbeingabooklover. Y'all, I want to be your best friend. The best (laughs) way for you to be my best friend is if you tell others about this show. So uh, word of mouth is one of the best ways to help people find us or leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. You're just inviting stalkers. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives at forwardradio.org.